A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Tamara Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of UrbanHealthToday.com, part of the DocWire family of medical news sites. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. I'm Tamara Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of Urban Health Today, and I'm speaking with Brad Chapman, Head of the U.S. Neurology, Epilepsy, and Rare Syndrome Portfolio at UCB. He's here to talk about UCB's collaboration with Lobo Children's Hospital, the Wisconsin Health Information Organization and Yale University aimed at examining the impact of seizure clusters on patient and caregiver quality of life. Thanks for speaking with me today, Mr. Chapman. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Um, can you tell us about your background and your work at UCB? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am currently, as you mentioned, the U.S. Head of Neurology for our Epilepsy and Rare Syndromes portfolio at UCB. Uh, I've been with this. I've been with UCB actually for seven. This is my seventeenth year. I just crossed an anniversary date recently. Okay. Um, I thank you. That's uh, I I appreciate that. I um I'm fortunate enough to have the the uh, pleasure of working with a really talented team of individuals who are responsible for advancing the company's commitment uh, to helping those live with uh, helping those who are living with epilepsy and these rare syndromes that we're able to treat now. Um, and to connect those solutions that we provide such that they can live life at their ideal, right? Making their own choices. Uh, it's a nationwide team of dedicated medical and commercial um, patient support professionals. And we're really, really fortunate to have the deepest and most diverse portfolio of solutions uh, on the market today for novel anti-seizure medications. And that includes Briviax, Nasalam, and Fintepla. Oh, wow. So... How are acute repetitive seizures and or seizure clusters or AKA seizure clusters different um, from other epileptic seizures? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a simple question, but a super important question. Um, trying to distill it down into the, to the core essence of what a cluster is or what a repetitive seizure is. Right. It really by definition means I, as someone living with epilepsy, I'm experiencing two or more seizures in a 24 hour period. And they're distinguishable from kind of maybe my normal seizure pat pattern, right? So I may uh, experience a seizure at seven o'clock in the evening, go to sleep. I may have another one at eight o'clock the next morning. Those are two within a 24 hour period that would be considered a seizure cluster or acute repetitive seizures. Of course, they can be more than that. But that's kind of the minimal threshold of, of what is considered seizure clusters. Are patients currently aware of this? How, how, um, how, how, would, how aware would you say patients are, epileptic patients? Um, yeah. No, I think it's, you know, what we find is it, it, it runs the spectrum, right? You have a group of really empowered and really engaged individuals who are living with the condition, um, groups that we get to work with, like the Epilepsy Advocate Group, right? They really do understand it. They understand their epilepsy. They understand their anti-seizure medications, and they understand the need to have rescue plans and rescue therapies, such as uh, a medication for seizure clusters, right? Intranasal medication. 
But then you kind of see other segments within the market who have really learned to cope with their epilepsy, right, with their seizures. And that awareness as to what clusters are and what repetitive seizures are is a bit relatively low, coupled with their understanding of what is available to treat them now, right? Because significant advancements have been made here. So I think it does vary across the full epilepsy community uh, as it does in so many other therapeutic areas where you have segments of, of individuals who are, again, really engaged, empowered, they're doing the research they understand. You have other segments who really just aren't there yet on their journey. And, and that's why it's great to be able to connect with folks like yourself and talk a bit more about it. But in particular, are, are uh, neurologists explaining to patients, and this is, this is just out of curiosity, are they explaining to patients, by the way, if you have more than two seizures in a 24-hour period, that is cluster and you need to reach back out to me? Is that how? Yeah. You know, I do think that it, that it happens, right? And it's, it's something that, though, again, happens kind of across the continuum. If you are seeing an epileptologist, if you are seeing one that's affiliated with an academic center, you might have some of those questions that are coming out during the course of your engagement, either with that epileptologist, neurologist, one of their staff members, one of the medical professionals. As we kind of move out into the general neurology space, sometimes there's variability there, right? Because when I'm coming in and I put myself in those, try to seek to put myself in that shoe, right? the physician, that clinician is looking at the seizure type that I'm having, right? They're really focused and treating other seizure types, kind of the core of my epilepsy. And a lot of times that question around, are you experiencing this? What does that look like? Tell me more. It just doesn't happen. Mm. And so collectively we're doing, we're doing a lot and really partnering with the HCP community, the epileptologist and the neurology community to, to make that be top of mind but also talking directly to patients and caregivers to say, this is what it is and help increase that awareness as to how you define it. And then what options are available to you, again, particularly those that haven't been available in the past. And, and what challenges do patients with ARS and their caregivers currently face? Well, I think, you know, if we're talking about individuals who understand that they're living with acute repetitive seizures and clusters, there are two big challenges that are faced with, um, Kind of what has been the traditional treatment there and in one you and i had an opportunity to speak about a little bit earlier is that the existing standard of care for so many years which was by the way a tremendous advancement for patients was a rectally administered medication so for many kind of in their adolescence phase of life or in adulthood right choosing a medication that is administered rectally not by myself but by someone else is really difficult, right? The stigma that goes along with it, the difficulties, the complexities. So you have not only the route of administration, but then the potential kind of lasting impacts of the next 24 hours for that individual, potential sedation, kind of being removed from, from life for a period of time, if you will. And so I think those are the core challenges around, do you understand it, right? Have we been able to identify it, what it looks like? And again, increasing that knowledge and awareness around medications who well, that are now available that are not rectally uh, administered, they're intranasally administered. They can be administered by a caregiver, right? They don't have to be a healthcare professional. And there are certain medications that don't have that sedation effect for that long period of time. So it allows the individual to kind of get back to their baseline function, what they were doing prior to having that cluster. Yeah, I was saying to you earlier, can you imagine if someone has a, a seizure you know, on in public and someone's like, quick, pull their pants down. That's not, that's not. Yeah, 
work? Well, we think we think about, you know, everything from our childhood and into adolescence and and what that experience might be like in in junior high um, and just how significant that impact would be on that individual yeah. all the way to traveling in an airport and that event occurring and, and somebody having to help do that while you're in public in the let's be candid in a day and age full of cameras in everybody's hand, right? So really, really difficult choice for people to make. And what we see, back to your earlier question about some of the challenges, is that people kind of opt out. I would rather cope with the seizure cluster or the repetitive seizures versus using something that's rectally administered. I just don't want to do that. And again, that's why it's important to increase this awareness around intranasal delivery of rescue medications. So um, how are epidemiologists and neurologists treating these cases currently? Well, I think you see there's, there's tremendous effort being made to, to do just what we're talking about today, to help create the space, the effort, and the time to identify that an individual is actually living with clusters, whether it be through the person living with epilepsy themselves or their care unit, right? Those individuals that are around them. And then really advancing the knowledge around a different delivery method, a different option, right? One that can be administered by a non-healthcare professional, right? One that is intranasal. One that, again, can allow you to be treated and then maybe kind of get back to some semblance of what you were doing before you had that repetitive seizure. So there really is a, a concerted effort of the healthcare community and the advocacy organizations to help their constituents, if you will, right? Those that they serve understand that this is an option. And that's what we see with the collaborations and partnerships that we're putting in place right now is how do we find really distinct elements along that care continuum by which we can advance and increase that impact for these individuals. So why is this such an understudied area of epilepsy research? Why is that? It would seem to me that, you know, epilepsy is it's serious and then uncontrolled epilepsy is, could be destructive, right? I was telling yeah. you about a woman who had an accident in her car and mowed down several people here in New York. Can you tell me why? Yeah, I, you know, it's a, it's a really great question. I, it's, uh, it's the, I mean, it's the million dollar question for the, for the day, right? I, I think it goes back to something you and I were speaking about earlier, is that when, when we have this time, this engagement between a person living with a condition, their care group, and, and that clinician themselves, we're really focused, and we see that the clinicians, rightfully so, are really focused on treating that primary seizure type that they're living with. Because the question is always being asked, why are you still having seizures and what can we do to stop them if that's possible, right? If it's possible for you, we want to get to zero seizures. So you really see that as the priority. And we know when you take that and you couple it with what we mentioned is that the, you know, the system is not built for a person living with epilepsy. No, it's not. Kind of if you think about the healthcare system in its totality um, and we compare it to something like diabetes, really debilitating, devastating, a really hard condition, right? When, when we see an individual diagnosed with, with diabetes, there's a whole kind of care continuum that goes into effect. There's a diabetes educator. There's people you talk to. There are programs you get involved in. There are ways that not only the system, maybe the healthcare system you're in and, and payer groups, your payer plans kind of come around that to help support. You kind of see almost 180 within the epilepsy space that there's a lot of time figuring out what that diagnosis is to ensure that it's not other things. But when it occurs, it's pretty much you have epilepsy. 
And here are some things that you can engage with, groups you can engage with. Here's the foundation you can reach out to. But it's, it's just right now the system is really not built to help facilitate that journey for that individual, which we know is, is certainly a shame because if we're able to ensure we have little to no seizures, zero seizures for some people are significantly reduced, we're seeing major implications for that person, but also the healthcare system in totality. Yeah, you know... You're, you're right, because going back to your example with the diabetes, there's also, there's awareness and there's common knowledge where someone mm. says, they, let's say they show up to the ER and they're having symptoms related to their diabetes. You, you have knowledge and awareness that you can pull on right away, that you can help mm. them right away. Somebody shows up with epilepsy, it's a little more involved because the awareness Correct. just isn't there to be able to pull together a plan to help them. So I think you make a really great point. And that, that needs to change. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're working, and again, I think through, through these partnerships as it relates to, and we're being very intentional, right, to look at seizure clusters or acute repetitive seizures, not to dismiss the totality of, of epilepsy or these rare syndromes, right, of LGS or Dravet, but it's to say, how can we lean in for this really acute event that this patient population is living with, ensuring that we understand, hey, there is a different option. There are, are alternatives now. This has a downstream effect, not only for you as the end user in your care network, but also the system itself. And we wanna make sure that you have access to a solution that could have a significant impact on, on your course of care. How do your partnerships with La Bonera, Wisconsin Health and Yale, how, how, how do these... Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Your partnerships with these hospital systems hope to address these challenges. And why these particular uh, centers? Yeah, I think you know, the, the second part of your question is a, is a great one, and, and it's, a, it's a bit of a bias of mine that I, I believe that these institutions have just a great passion for trying to advance care for this patient population, right? They, they have an invested effort or, or um, amount of energy around saying we can do better here and this is how and who we want to partner and collaborate with in order to advance that, right? Um, and so I think there's a little bit of that, that may be kind of like a qualitative aspect of it, not to say that there are not others, but, but these, have certainly shown a great deal of interest. The Le Bonner Children's Hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Each of these is trying to address a different gap. So with Le Bonner Children's Hospital, we're really talking about how we create a platform, if you will, by which 
people living with acute repetitive seizures or clusters can ask the experts, right? How do you combat kind of these identified gaps in care that exist for patients and for caregivers with information as it relates to seizure clusters, as it relates to um, how to treat what you might be looking out for, what some, are the, what some triggers may be. And so all of that will be, will be done through an educational suite of resources and videos so that when individuals have the question, they have something they can tap into within the system that helps provide that answer. That's specific to, to Lebonner, right? Um, I think when we look at Wisconsin Health, um, the Wisconsin Health Information Organization, that's a little more practical using claims data, right? So if you look actually at the state level, can we better understand cost, resource utilization? What is, it, what is the impact to the health system overall? Uh, what are some of the access barriers or what are some of the disease prevalence numbers that exist within this kind of databases, if you will, that help us better understand the economic and clinical impact of under-treatment or under-recognition of seizure clusters, right? Because it's really important for the system in totality to see, look, here's, here's kind of that variable. If we impact that variable, here are all of the things that could occur downstream, starting with the benefit to the patient, right? So you have Lebonner asking, you know, the, the experts, Wisconsin Health Information, looking at the data set, right, of, of underserving or under-treating this patient population. Right. And then with Yale University, you really have a study that's designed to assess the impact of seizure rescue medications, of treatment patterns, of, again, that resource utilization through things like seizure action plans. Like we see this pretty... Like if you look across, again, the continuum and kind of the age range, you see typically in, in younger patients, there's always a seizure action plan. This is what this looks like. This is what I'll do. Here are my medications. Here's how they'll be treated. But as we get into adolescence and we get older, we see those action plans kind of dissipate, if you will, a little bit. They're less stringent and less applied. So with the, with the Yale partnership, we really look to understand the impact of seizure cluster management looking at things like seizure action plans. Because again, having a rescue medication in this condition is really, really important. So it sounds like that the, these institutions were leaders of the pack in terms of knowledge and understanding of uh, epilepsy and ARS. Yeah, absolutely. As, as mentioned earlier, they have a particular passion for it. And they see, when we talk about the system, we talk about that continuum of care, it's nice to be able to sit at the table with with partners like this and collaborate and say, what might this look like? And how do we, uh, in the case of these three examples, how do we kind of pilot something, right? How do we pilot this to remain agile such that we can learn from it and then iterate on it to make it better in a time period that is, that is relatively short. Sometimes things in our world can, can last for years and beyond to get to the, the end outcome. And we're really looking at um, collaborations and partnerships that allow us to do that in a very concise and very focused manner, but also in a very expeditious manner. So years down the line, because you know, gathering this data takes years. Um, years down the line, what, what does this look like in terms of the epilepsy, the ARS um, space? What are you hoping to accomplish? I believe that, we, that we're hopeful that in the near term that seizure action plans and rescue medications become very much just uh, a part of what that treatment algorithm looks like. You know, um, I go back, you and I had a, a 
we're having a great conversation uh, earlier around just different therapeutic areas where we wouldn't even think twice in the allergy space. Well, of course I have a rescue medication in the migraine space. Of course I have a rescue medication. There's so many other areas where it just, it makes complete sense. Why would we not do that? There are these acute events that occur and we have an opportunity here with the introduction of intranasal delivery and with the introduction of a therapy that allows people to get back to that function. The majority, we saw the majority of patients were able to get back to kind of that baseline function within 90 minutes. It's something different, right? So there's something new that's being introduced into the market that changes or disrupts kind of that kind of standard of care that existed previ previously, such that to your question, when we get to the future state, it's a normal part of that checklist, right? It's a normal part of that plan because we should all have an action plan. We should all be so, um, attuned to it that we're free to share it with others to say this is what may happen this is what i need this is what i have right and and that, that access is there for patients who need it and god forbid you know you something happens to you and you're out in the world you should be able to rely on simply your medic bracelet for example mm. and the paramedics mm. or the ems knows okay this person is epileptic you know exactly what to do Oh, it's absolutely part of it, right? And, and again, as we think about what those action plans looks like, those seizure action plans, that's an element of that for sure. Yeah. And even I think, and you know, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, God forbid something happens um, out at a public event, I would think you would want that awareness to trickle out to the greater public too, similar to going back to the example you used with the diabetic somebody knows okay get this person some sugar quick find their insulin pen Th that that knowledge um being front of mind rather than oh what do we do we have no idea so right. you want that okay i see where you're going with this this is this no is absolutely i think we have a we have a responsibility to help you know to help educate i mean we at the end of the day, we are human beings and we live with a host of, of um, conditions that impact us. And, and epilepsy is, is one of those for, for many individuals. And, and we have to bring that knowledge to the market to understand what it is and what it isn't, right? And in helping to bring action plans, seizure action plans, and helping to bring these rescue medications that are delivered in a manner that doesn't associate itself with stigma and stops the seizure quickly and in this case allows the individual to get back to kind of that baseline activity that's a game changer right such that when you and i see it in the future we think well this is what's occurring and i know what to do here now to be helpful in the situation right so according to the ucb the goal of the collaboration is to quote to positively impact patients with unmet needs and uncontrolled epilepsy what does that mean and and Obviously, we did talk a little bit about what that would look like, but what does that mean? Yeah, you know, in this case, it is helping understand that there is a way to address this, this need, right? One is to bring recognition to it. Right. Um, that, you know, we've, we've had, again, we get the great pleasure of, of interacting with people who, who live with the condition, right, through our epilepsy advocate program. And, and even within that, you hear individuals who say, I didn't realize these were clusters. I didn't realize what I was experiencing was a repetitive seizure. And this is a, a person who's very knowledgeable about their, their condition, right? So bringing that awareness to the market and saying, look, there is an unmet here. There was a way to treat it in the past, but that has changed now dramatically with intranasal delivery and this ability to return to function. 
And so we talk about addressing unmet needs. We, we're really saying, how do we match that solution with the individual who needs it and ensure that they have access? Because that change in their life can have huge implications, not only for themselves as an individual, but those that are around them, right? Their care network, their loved ones, their friends, right? So it has implications and ripple effects uh, beyond just the person living with seizure clusters. Do you anticipate UCB meaning, do you anticipate um, working with community health uh, organizations in the future um, to sort of help disseminate this further out? Yeah, I, I, I do think so, right? I think we, we live in a time that there are platforms available to us through engagement such as this, through social, through other things by which we can begin to spread the word, right? We, we talk about um, this knowledge should be for everybody. The awareness should be for everyone that it exists. And we have to think about the various channels. You know, a lot of times people traditionally think about what does that engagement look like between the individual themselves and their physician? Super important. Would never want to dismiss that, right? It's absolutely critical in this equation. But our ecosystem by which we receive care now is becoming much more complex. And to your point, community health, right, as one example, that's another pathway by which we need to ensure that education is there. We've seen in other areas such as school nurses, right? They have the ability to impact care and to bring awareness to parents or to caregivers, right? So we have to think about all of these points along the ecosystem by which people can receive information and awareness can be created and ensure that we're engaging there. Well, I'm looking forward to how this um, shakes out in the future. I'm really excited for this intranasal for heaven's sake. That's, you know, that's great. Um, do you have any other treatments coming down the pipeline? I know that's not what you're really supposed to talk about, but I'm curious. Yeah, we, uh, I would say that UCB does, uh, we have a continued commitment to the, to the epilepsy space. We do have uh, programs in the pipeline right now that we're incredibly excited about. Some that are very much in line with what you and I are talking about, speaking about today. And others that take us into the future around gene therapy. So some really, really exciting times and wow. certainly look forward to come back and, and, and maybe sharing more of that with you in the future. I really hope you will because I'm very curious about this space. This is, you know, you guys have hit this right on the head in terms of it's important to get this out to the people so that community helps the individual so they're not feeling so isolated. There's no right. stigma around the condition. And it becomes as commonplace as, you know, carrying your rescue inhaler or your... Absolutely. There's no reason that it should not be. And, and I think that when we continue to work together and partner and collaborate through platforms such as this, right, we help to get that out into the world. And that's, that's what we have to be responsible for is putting out in the world so people can receive that information. Mr. Brad Chapman of UCB, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this, um, you know, and I do hope you'll come back. Seriously. No, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to connect and I look forward to catching up in the future. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time.